welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. Praise God. Now, uh, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, you can, you can go there today. We're going to go to... Sorry? Yes. I'll do that now then, shall I? <laughs> Uh, Kate is reminding me to ask you uh, to book in for this. Uh, it was an interesting thing happened down at the, the ladies' uh, event in Horsham where Kate was speaking last weekend because they'd been saying to the local church there, you need to book in if you're coming. And uh, they didn't, a lot of them, because that's, no, that's the way local churches can work sometimes, isn't it? And it ended up that a lot of the local church didn't get in. It was full. So I'm not saying we're going to be full. We could be full. There's a, there's a lot of bookings at the moment, so, and there are actually at the moment more people booked in from outside the church than actually from this congregation, so, uh, and that of course would be at the online booking as well. So if you are coming, and I hope that you are, because this, this will be uh, a very significant weekend, the bringing together of uh, what God has been doing through Catch the Fire and through Kingdom Faith. Stu and uh, Chloe... Glassborough are significant international leaders. We don't know them uh, at all, really. We, they come to us through the ministry of Paul and Sue Manwaring. And as you know, he's been encouraging me to invite uh, Stu and Chloe to come for a number of years. And they don't uh, necessarily just go to churches they have no links with, especially as they tend to be travelling internationally. But when I did contact them through Paul, uh, he gave me their number. They said, yes, we'd love to come because Paul and Sue have been telling us all about you. And, uh, but they said, there is a problem. Uh, we only have one weekend left in the whole year. Uh, so so we, that's the only time we can come. That was the weekend we'd already arranged this for and had bookings for. So that was very convenient and kind of feels like this is God. Okay, so there is going to be an impartation of anointing. There is going to be an experience of God. There is going to be an encounter with Him. There is going to be people who are at that event who are changed. So don't please miss it. Because you're doing something important like having a cup of tea. You know, get there. Get to as much of it as you possibly can. I really genuinely recommend... Uh, if you're able to, and work is getting in the way, to take time off work. This is, the one, this is an event which we encourage you to do that. Take the th- Friday off, then you can be here Friday afternoon. And I also recommend, it's not on Monday afternoon, but it's not a bad idea to take the Monday off as well, if you're able to, to give yourself time to process what God has been doing and sort of come down rather than thrown straight back into everything again. It's, it's often a good time to just have a day off, uh, and come down from, uh, in, I don't mean come down, I mean come sort of into reality of what God said to you. Okay, so it is going to be a fantastic time. Things are changing, you know, around here. I don't know if you've noticed, things are changing. And I know change can make people uncomfortable. You do things like change the way we pray, or you change the way we minister, or you change the way groups do things, or you bring in a, a training course here and a training course here that changes the practice. And sometimes people can be a bit like, well, why, 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 why should I, you know? And it's because we're changing and we're equipping and we're being changed. It's, not, it's never a judgment on somebody, you need to do this. We, we told Ron, uh, who, who heads up our ministry teams, Ron, if you don't do the prophetic training course, you're not leading the team. 
basically. Okay? And, and so that's why he did it. <laughs> Is he capable of leading the team? Absolutely. But do we want to come to one mind together, understand what we're doing? We do. And um, the others of the leaders have done it as well. So, hallelujah. I mention that because there's going to be more change. You know, people will change. Do you remember once I spoke on quantum mechanics? That should ring a bell. It's not something I do very often. And I I put up that picture from, uh, uh, well, one was from NASA, one was from something else. But it was like a pictorial representation of matter. Uh, And showing how uh, matter and all the different particles that make up matter, sometimes we have in our head like a neat little picture of electrons just running around, you know, around around an atom or something like that or making up the atom and it was showing how everything is very dynamic and moving all over the place Uh, it was was all in different colours to show the the different uh, makeup of matter and and the the whole point was that everything was reacting to everything else and that's a great picture of how we are full of energy but the energy is in the relationships actually between the different different particles of matter Sorry to do physics with you, but that's where the energy actually is. It's when you break things apart, you get huge explosions. The energy is in the actual connections. And that's what, that's, you know, God is the same God that made that, that made community. Our energy is in our connections and our relationships. That's why this whole idea of going on your own is a load of rubbish. It doesn't work. You won't have the energy, you won't have the capacity to be able to do what God has called you to do. But the other thing that's happening is that they're changing all the time. As they move around, they move into new relationships. They move into new ways of doing things. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just the way life is. This is not a preliminary to me saying I'm resigning and going somewhere else, by the way. (laughs) But the role I have, the role Kate has... Yeah, the big change is... (laughs) Jones, the new senior pastor. I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. Things will change over time, but we will change according to God's plan, which we won't be able to fathom. Because if you look at matter, if you, and the way scientists understand the makeup of the universe now, Newton thought it was all very lovely and ordered, and you get Newton's laws of motion, which work, but they work over this tiny framework of how everything works. Now, if you step outside of Newton's framework of scientific understanding, which was all lovely and ordered and caused a whole industrial revolution because we could make machines now, because of this science, uh, because if we press this button, it made that cog well, which made this happen. But life is not a machine. You are not a cog in a machine. You are a messy, chaotic particle of life amidst many other messy particles of life. And as we bump off one another, oh, <laughs> we, do, we change and react, and we become different people. People make us better. Even the, people, even the people we struggle not to like, they make us better people because they can reveal the very things that are in us. That actually God says, we need to deal with this. How can I deal with this? I will send Hannah Pegram into your life because she <laughs> is going to wind you up something chronic. I mean, she's gorgeous and lovely and Jossie will have words with me afterwards. But... <laughs> But to you, she might not be gorgeous and lovely. You might think she is so irritating. <laughs> Look at those glasses. You know, 
<laughs> but that's the way things are. God, you, 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 we pray, oh Lord, change me. So he sends people so that we change. You know, whenever you feel yourself heading downwards, it's a good sign that God is working on you. It's the times when we're dancing around on the mountaintops feeling brilliant that actually we're probably not changing very much. It's the wonderful paradox of following Jesus that more happens in the valley of death than on the mountaintop. It's like, God, I want to learn how to change on the mountaintop. And God says, okay, we can do that. Let's go through the valley first. <laughs> there I will show you how to encounter me and be changed on the mountaintop. But we're human and we really change when we go through stuff. Okay? But the important thing is to remember that through all of it, it is God that gives us the grace and the mercy to go through them. I want to look at the book of Galatians. Now, this is one of Paul's letters. St. Paul, one of the very early, uh, well, almost like the apostle of most of this book. He wasn't one of the followers of Jesus. In fact, just after the time of Jesus in the days of the early church, it was Paul who was a Pharisee of the Jewish faith, very zealous, persecuting Christians, uh, rooting them out and finding them. He was a, a fierce person. But he has this miraculous conversion, which is not what we're going into today. And God really, he has a God encounter. I mean, he goes into a dark place. He loses his eyesight. He goes blind, which you can imagine. You go blind today, it's horrific enough. Imagine going blind nearly 2,000 years ago, knowing that there's no medical support. People are not going to look up. You're probably just going to out in the dust at the roadside begging for crumbs. And here was a man who had been rich and comfortable and well-educated. Uh, so it must have been an incredibly scary time. But in that darkness, in that valley, he became Paul the Apostle. Or at least he began that journey from the point he was at to becoming that man of God. And it's a really interesting letter, this letter, because it's called Galatians because it was written to the people living in an area called Galatia. Uh, which is, if you went to Turkey and sort of went east... That big land mass there, is, it was in the middle of that lot there. Okay? Uh, that's where the people were. It was, then it was called Galatia because it comes from the word we would say Gaul. It came, because the people that had settled in that land were Celts. They were probably from France. I don't know whether this book was this kind of an accent. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Mon Dieu. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's highly unlikely. But they might have looked like asterisk and obelix. <laughs> anyway, moving back into what God wants me to say. <laughs> That's where this letter was written to. So they were, they were early Christians, and it's one of Paul's first letters. It can be difficult to date things, because obviously he didn't actually put the date at the top. Um, so we, don't, we, we, we can look at it by, in relation to everything else. Uh, Luke's book of Acts is really good for helping to date things because his, his, uh, his, his account is in chronological order as far as we know. Uh, so we can use that. So it looks like this is one of the, one of the first letters. So you get an insight to what, how the church was thinking very, very early on. And um, I mean, it's not long ago that this was written. How many of you went to a millennium party or, or went to a, a New Year's Eve party in 1999 to welcome in the year 2000. Yeah, I know some of you are so young, you, you know, but yeah, a lot of you did. Some of you were in bed. <laughs> some of you weren't anywhere near having a party for the millennium. Yeah, there's quite a few of us. You probably remember what you did. 
It's 18 years ago, but you probably remember it pretty well. It's not an astronomical... I mean, for me, I get scared when I remember the 80s so well, because then you have to think that's nearly 40 years. How's that even possible? You know, wake me up to when you go-go. Come a, come a, come a, come a, come a chameleon. Yeah, I really need to shed that past. So, sorry? What was that, Claire? <laughs> yeah, you were, conf- you, were, you were affirming me as boy George, were you? <laughs> affirming that I need to drop the past. Very good plan. The point is, were you at a New Year's Eve party in 2003? Maybe, maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. You, you can't really remember. But the, the 1999 one was a very significant one, so you remember it. The thing is, you don't forget things that are significant. And the coming of Jesus amongst the Jewish people and what happened in the empire was a significant event for people that were in that. So everything was very, very strong in their memories. They weren't going back to the 1980s. It was just the millennium. They weren't trying to remember the words to one of Rick Astley's songs. You know, this is just only 18 years ago. Uh, for, for the millennials in the room, um, if you Google Rick Astley, you'll find out he was a singer. Um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> when, we, when we did a wedding uh, celebration for Brian and Shona a while ago, they got married in the 1980s and they said, oh, can you put together a song list? And it's like, yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. And because they got married in the 80s, they thought it'd be great to have songs from the 80s. There's rumours that they even like that kind of music. But, and I looked on my sort of, you know, my store of music that I had and I had virtually nothing from the, that whole decade. It was like vacant. <laughs> 70s, yeah, plenty of stuff. 90s, good amount of stuff. 80s? Usually just bands that were around in the 70s that were still going. So, it's not my era, the 80s, but even that doesn't sound very far away. I mean, we got married in the end of the 1980s. still remember that very well. But this was less than half that time ago that Paul was writing. So when he's talking about Jesus and Christ and, and everything that he comes and, and his ministry, he's talking about things that are very strong in people's memories. He can't get away, he's not going to get away with stuff. And so he's talking to these Celtic people. And the book of Galatians, or the letter of uh, Galatians, it's uh, Martin Luther, one of the sort of major changes of church uh, in, in, in Europe, he used to call this book his Katerina, which was the name of his wife, because he, was, he loved the book so much. He called it his Kate. Uh, because he loved the message of freedom that's in it. Sound a little bit like that other chap there. We won't say who, but he had blue wold and a skirt on. Uh, Sorry. But it was such a message of freedom, and it's still such a message of freedom, and it was still such a message of freedom in Paul's day that it is so important to us. Because we we looked last week, I suppose the focus of last week was deep, caused to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. It was that idea of going deep into the presence of God. And you have to know how loved and accepted you are by God and what he's done for you through the blood of Christ to know you can go into that place. I mean, intriguingly, in the context of that psalm, the the writer of that psalm is talking about meeting with God in the deepness of depression, which we probably don't want to 
speak over ourselves, but I do want to meet God when I'm down there. So, and then before that, we particularly, I suppose one of the things that we, 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 were, we were really looking at was that story of the woman at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet in front of the religious leaders, uh, washing his, the, her, her feet, his feet, Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. So, what enables you to get into that place? Would you be able to sit at the feet of Jesus and kiss his feet and not feel awkward? So, let's just go to the beginning of the letter. It's a rather sad letter, despite what I've just said about Martin Luther calling it his Kate. Because Paul is going to address something very serious in the church. And it's quite notable that compared to some of his other letters, it's not as, there's not the friendly greetings. There's not the personal mentions. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by God, but by Jesus Christ from God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. He's, I mean, as he normally does, he's reminding them of who he is and the call that's upon his life, the apostle. Grace and peace to you, Charis and Irene to you, the grace and favour of God to you, the peace of God to you, is there right at the beginning, from God our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's like the introduction bit. So having said that, and having reminded them that Jesus Christ is here to rescue us, as he describes it, the present evil age. We're not supposed to live in a state that's equal to everyone around us. There is a rescue that has taken place. God has placed us in a better place. But then he says to these people, um, I am astonished. I mean, he's not messing about here. I am shocked, you could say in another translation. I am astonished that you're so quickly, because it is quick, deserting the one who called you by the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel. A different gospel. He's not, just, he's, he's, he's not saying it's a, a valid one. He's saying this is something that's not what you were originally taught. And he's coming in very, very strongly to correct it to these Galatians. Um, which is really no gospel at all. If, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I mean, he's not messing around here. They're perverting the gospel of Christ. These people that are coming to you. He's on a rescue mission himself. He doesn't want these people being dragged away from whatever message it is that they got in the gospel. And that's what we're just going to investigate because it's so key for us as well. Uh, Because we can fall into the same trap. As we have already said, so now, uh, sorry, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. I mean, you should see the theological discussion that goes on about that particular sentence. Is Paul really saying what Paul is really saying? Yes, Paul is really saying. 
He's not saying he's going to condemn them. He's saying their actions and what they're doing is leading them into condemnation because they're, le- they're leading people away from the very place God has rescued them to enable them to stand in. Okay? So, as we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. He repeats it for emphasis. First he says an outrageous thing, if you like, like an angel or anyone. Now he's saying, if any one of you starts preaching this stuff. Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. This was one of the things that Paul has been accused of, that his preaching tickles the ears of people. His, his preaching's not realistic because it's full of grace and freedom. And actually, he's, so he's a false gospel preacher, if you like. He's come under a lot of attack at this point that his message itself is not the gospel because it just makes people comfortable and feel better. Someone said to me this week, um, they, they said, your gospel is a false gospel to me because you, you talk about people experiencing God. There's no experience of God, they said. It's about knowing the truth. Well, with all due respect to that person, that's absolute tosh. Because I see, if you remember, that Jesus on this planet is God incarnate. He's everything of Jesus that can be manifest on this planet. And when people met Jesus, they had an experience. All right? You can't have love without experience. It's just head knowledge. Kate and I celebrate 30 years of marriage this year. If there was no experience of love, we wouldn't be married. It would have crashed at some point we may have the knowledge oh Kate knows I love her but we need to experience that love and that experience isn't just words this coming up this year at the end of this month you will experience God as well as come into a knowledge of the truth the very word knowledge and to know in the Hebrew is about intimately knowing And I think this is where people get lost. They think when it says, oh, you've got to know the truth. They think, oh, I've got to know the truth in the sense of studying it. Now, we value study. That's why we do the BA course in Mission and Theology. You know, and if God's talking to you about doing next year, come and see me. Come and do it. It's an absolutely awesome course. But that's not the only thing that's there. It's knowing and experiencing. But it's all bound up in the Hebrew word together. You can't know the truth if you don't experience the truth. You can't actually know God unless you experience God and experience God spiritually and experience God physically and that's another reason for community. You discover God by sitting next to somebody who knows God. In fact, you discover God just by walking around a community and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what he's doing already in our community. Because God's out there. He's not waiting for us to go out there. He's already doing things in Scarborough. And often all we do is join in. The whole angels stuff all came from just stepping into what God was already beginning and starting. It wasn't our initiative. But there are many other things, big and small, that are just little God things, that he's already doing something. He opens up the door of that neighbor to enable you to have a chat with them. You know, those kind of things. He's out there. But Paul had been accused of trying to please people by his message of titillation. 
in the sense of, oh, it's just making people feel good. I want you to know that the gospel does make you feel good. All right? It does make you feel good. It's a wonderful experience that also is, comes with the experience of suffering and struggle and going through hard times. It's both. It's life. It's everything in full color. In fact, you can, you can, you can end up going through something much worse just because you know God, because persecution comes in. And that's why Jesus talks of picking up a cross and following him. I want you to know, says Paul, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but rather I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing, listen to me. Just because somebody sounds good or they've got a lot of words, it doesn't mean they're right. You need to compare it with what God has already given you. If you read the Psalms, you will read of the writers in those Psalms experiencing great highs with God and experiencing lows with God. Experience is very much part of what God does in our lives. He created us with emotions and feelings as well as intellect and knowledge, or knowledge to learn. So, for you've heard of my, and he reminds them of what he was, for what you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might not preach him, so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles, in other words, the people who are not Jewish, I didn't consult any man. I didn't go out to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but went immediately into Arabia and later to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. So he's stressing that this isn't something that... What I have isn't just something that um, was a teaching of the apostles. This is direct revelation that you need to hear. Paul is very unique. If anybody says to you, I've got a revelation that is different to this Bible now, we know that that's an immediate sign that it's false. But now, he says, I went up to the apostles, and he talks to James, and he talks to Peter, because he then emphasizes the fact that they were in agreement with him. It just didn't come from them. Because the original apostles found it very difficult to break out of their Jewish culture initially. Peter had a vision of a, of a, a sheep being lowered from heaven with all kinds of animals in it. And the, in the Jewish faith, there are things you can eat and things you can't eat. They're called clean and unclean. And in this sheep, Peter sees these animals uh, ready to be eaten. And he says, that a, in the vision, he hears God say to him, arise and eat. And Peter says, I can't. There's unclean stuff in there. And it's God showing him that the ways of Judaism are being transformed through what Jesus has done. There's an old ancient Jewish prayer. This is not in any way to criticize Jewish people because our faith is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Um, But there is an ancient Jewish prayer going back thousands of years. And the prayer runs something like, thank God that I'm not a Gentile. Thank God 
you didn't make, sorry, thank God you didn't make me a Gentile. Thank God you didn't make me a slave. Thank God you didn't make me a woman. Amen. Which is why you see a little bit further in the writings of Paul, you see he will say, in Christ, there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave nor free. He's addressing that traditional prayer. He's saying that what you have heard, that what you have even prayed, that is not from God. That is a pride and misogyny that's come from being the man in charge. But now there is a new culture coming. Now there is a new way in where there is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no slave or free. But you are to be one people together in Christ. And obviously Paul isn't just addressing those three things. He's talking about a whole inclusivity of people being equal before God. You see, in God there aren't people that are worth more than others. Every single person is precious. Our value is not from what we do, which is how the world values us. Our value is from the fact that Jesus was prepared to die for us. We all have different roles, but we are all equal in our value before God. And that value is inestimable. We can't put a price on it. The only price that's ever been put on your life was the one that Jesus paid. There is no other. So Paul is reminding them of all of this. Why is he doing all of this? Let's find out. So he goes up to Peter. Uh, They find out that the man who was persecuting them, this is Peter and James, find out that the man who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And it says, and they praise God because of me. They must have been incredibly excited, mustn't they, that this this top persecutor had become uh, an apostle of God. It says, he then jumps in time. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along as well. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. We didn't give in to them. Not for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not really quite sure what's going on here. What's he actually talking about? Titus, being Greek, there was a whole move happening that was trying to bring back the, the, the Jewish customs, the Jewish law, into Christianity. And a key one, of course, was that you had to be circumcised if you were Jewish. It was a sign that you were cut off from the world and set apart to God. But it had already been decided that this wasn't necessary. And if you do this one thing, Paul is saying, then you're entering into all these other things that you have to keep. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And you go down a negative road of you have to do this to be acceptable. If you do this, you will be acceptable. If you live like this, you will be acceptable. If you do this, you will be acceptable. In other words, the complete opposite of what Jesus had just demonstrated by sitting down next to that woman at the world, by refusing to have that woman stoned, by allowing rough fishermen to become his first disciples he was saying this is for all do not allow yourselves to get back into it I must do this, I must do this, I must do this you see Mike loves Kate and 
do you ever cook her breakfast or what do you do that's nice for her? Oh dear, nothing. <laughs> he, he cooks meals, okay? And he washes up. He'll do loads of things. Now, he can do those things in different ways. Although he can do them, it's what's going on behind. Now the way, because I know this couple, is he does them because he loves Kate. He could do them because it's something he must do. Well, I love Kate and I really must show that I love her. What must I do to show that I love her? Or even worse, he could write down a set of rules and regulations that he's going to do. Thursday nights make dinner. That's the, that's the rule, because then I will be loving Kate. For Saturday mornings, get the hoover out. Do some hoovering. Okay? And you'd have a very, very shallow effect of what love actually is. You might, you might be joking and saying, oh, I wouldn't mind some of that. Yeah, you would hate it, because you would remove all the experience. And that's why Paul is standing so strong about do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. He's not saying don't be disciplined in your life, but he's saying don't come back under a yoke that is the law of which circumcision. And we must be careful because of the things we're going through, the things that we're pushing against, the way the enemy is being routed, the way we're taking hold of the the, the gifts, the extraordinary miracles and all these things, that we don't allow that to become I must do this. It's, I will do this because I love God. And God has encouraged us to be uh, embracing the discipline of fasting and praying. But you can do it from a, I must do this. Or you can do it, I will do this because I love God. One, you'll still be blessed in both. But if you really want to experience God, then you, you fast because you love him. Sometimes we have to get there through the must, but... It's not a healthy route to go down because you'll ultimately end up miserable thinking that you've got to hit all these targets to, to, for God to bless you. Tithing is an awesome practice. Tithing is when you give into God's kingdom and you usually decide something around 10% or 10% of your income. I'm going to give straight into God. You can do that from a, I must do this, it is the law. Or you can do, I want to give from what I have back into what God has. One will be fruitful and one won't be. Because one is cultivating a pressure on yourself of, I must do this, I must do this, I must do this. The other one is, this is an expression of how I want to love God. It's a simple message today, so I'm nearly at the end. It really is this simple. Don't get trapped by the law. Um, so they have all this approval, and he, he, he has his message uh, approved, and what's happening and what's going on. And then he meets up with Peter again later in Antioch. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I mean, this is uh, Peter, the apostle. And Paul's there, in his face. Because he was clearly in the wrong. 
Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. James was the apostle in Jerusalem. It was a very, very Jewish congregation. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And then others began to join him because Peter was an example. And so it was by that hypocrisy, even Barnabas, another apostle, uh, apostle, was being led astray. See, there's such responsibility upon people to, to hold ourselves accountable to the freedom we have. I mean, that is, I suppose, a difference in what God has upon us. Wherever God has appointed you, you have a different responsibility and accountability before God. That's why God holds me very accountable. Because if I go off the rails, I can lead hundreds of people astray. But whatever you are, if you're a house church leader, God will hold you accountable for the lives of the people there in the way that you're leading your life. If you're in the worship team, because it's such a, an upfront position, you're constantly a demonstration of who God is. So God will hold you to that. That's why we're tough on things like that. Not because we want to enforce the law, but we don't want the law to drag people away. You see, the thing is, if you are living in sin, in certain ways, and constantly trapped by it, never trying to get out of it, never dealing with it, you're actually living by the law. You're just breaking it all the time. Because grace enables you to overcome. Grace enables that to be broken. Grace takes you beyond that. See, people think that by uh, living in a life, oh, it's okay, I can sleep with anyone I want to. I'm very sensible about it, I always use protection. No, you're living by the law, you're just breaking it. That's why the law came. That's why there is the law. It's to show us right and wrong. But it's not to become our master. It's to become our freedom. It's to be impossible without the Holy Spirit, without this new life. It is impossible. But you live it by love, not by I must. So he rebukes Peter. He said to, uh, he said, it says here, I said to Peter in front of them all. It was a very public sin, so it was a public rebuke in this case. You are not like, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you enforce Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. So he comes to the end of this uh, conclusion. I mean, he has an early um, thing about where he's got an early idea of, so should we just sin then? Should we just sin because Christ has dealt with it all? And he says here, absolutely not. If I rebuild what was destroyed, I prove I'm a lawbreaker, which is what I was just saying to you. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, writes Paul, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, doing the right stuff, Christ died for nothing. If we think any way we behave is going to make us more acceptable before God, we're saying it didn't matter about the death of Jesus. It's complete and utter grace and mercy 
that then enables us to walk in holiness and righteousness. I have been crucified with Christ. That then becomes the statement of... That's why we say, I have died. It's not just a question of um, when you're baptized, going down into the water, symbolic thing of death to a past lifestyle. It's saying that when Jesus was crucified on the cross and died, if you are in Christ, which is what you are as a believer, you died with Christ on that cross. So everything, sickness, sin, poverty, lack, everything that is negative died on that cross for Jesus. But Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He went into the grave. Those things were dealt with, buried, paid for. But because he was innocent of all the crimes that he'd just died for, of all the sins that he'd just been crucified for, the power of God raised him from the dead. But you have been raised from the dead because you are in Christ. Sometimes when we struggle and think, I don't know how I will ever overcome this habitual sin, the answer is because you are in Christ. And, and usually the problem is, maybe it's a gambling addiction, you focus on the addiction. I must not gamble, I must not gamble, I must not gamble, I must not gamble. But the problem is then you're filled with your mind of imagining what it's like to gamble. I'm just picking on one thing. So how do you stop it? Or any other issue? You remember that you are in Christ. I have died to this addiction. This addiction was actually broken on the cross and taken to the grave. And now I am in Christ, sat in heavenly places, as the Gospels put it. We, we didn't just rise with Christ, we ascended with Christ to heaven. Because we are in Christ. That's why you're sat in heaven, in heavenly places. Your body's still here, but spiritually speaking, you're sat in heavenly places. You haven't got to obey a set of laws to get there. You're there. There's not some great massive amount of regulations of you must do this to get there. You are there. And it's from there you can live according to the way of freedom that God's given us. Okay? Hallelujah. I know this is a bit wordy this week after the other two weeks, but I felt this is what God wanted me to bring. At this point, don't set aside grace in an effort to sort of get more super spiritual. Everything we do is by grace. In other words, his enablement, his favour. It's not that it doesn't matter what we do. It matters very, very much. But what, it, what, it, what grace does is enable us to fulfil the call of God on our life. When we think, I can't do this. Yeah, you can because you died on the cross. The, the, the you that couldn't do it is dead. The you that you are now is the one that, was right, that rose with Christ from the dead and ascended to be sat in heavenly places. And that's why you can do it. And if somebody else makes you feel unacceptable or invalid, like joking about your glasses, <laughs> I hope that didn't, it's, it's absolute rubbish. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not true. Hannah, who I know is a believer, is therefore dead. But Hannah in Christ 
is risen from the dead and has ascended into heaven and sat in heavenly places. And that's why there's just no end to her, who she is and her value. And I could say all kinds of negative stuff to her or there could have been all kinds of negative stuff done to her, but it is dead. And she has an opportunity to live in the new. That's not to say that past couldn't be painful, hurtful, because there are pasts that are very painful and hurtful and leave us feeling like we're incapable of living life. But the truth is, whatever happened to you, the lack of love, the abuse, the, the misuse, it died on the cross. It is dead. And you have within you a new capacity to live beyond that. It might seem impossible. It might seem a pipe dream, but it is there and you can discover it. Not by focusing on that past, but by focusing on who Jesus is. Focusing on that place of where you are in heaven. Focusing on the things of God. Praising him. Thanking him. As we were saying last week, cultivating that attitude of gratitude is what enables us to live in the position that we have. Otherwise, we end up living back in the grave that we were never, ever intended to be in. So don't live by the law. We were never intended to live by the law post-Jesus because this is so early in Christianity. It was not a later invention as sometimes people try to make up. It was there at the beginning. It was there with Jesus and the way he treated people. He didn't wait for them to be clean before they touched him. They wept on his feet. They anointed his hair with oil and perfume. They poured perfume over his feet. They came close to him and he welcomed them all. So whenever you feel, I don't know if I can go before God. Remember that's just the law speaking to you. And we live by grace and mercy. And walk past that barrier that says no. And right through into that most holy place with him. Because that's where you're made, newly created to be. That's where we live. That's where we pray from. That's where we work from. That's where we parent from. That's where we love from. That's where we are in relationship with one another from. Amen. Well, be blessed. Enjoy the rest of the sunshine. See you in the week. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.